We've been talking this whole week about koinonia, sharing together. This relationship that we have in Jesus Christ, sharing with God, sharing with Christ, sharing with the Spirit, and sharing with each other. And I've pointed out for you many different ways we do that and why we do that. And I'd say until tonight, almost all of those, almost all of those, not everyone, but almost all of those are pleasurable senses of sharing. But there is a kind of sharing that isn't so pleasurable at the beginning. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. The Apostle Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. We look at the first two of those and say, those are really good things. I want to know. I want to know him. I want to know the Lord. We spend a lot of our time in our Bible classes learning about Jesus so we can know who he is. Why? So we can follow him. I want to know Jesus. It's a good thing. And, and in almost every respect, that's a pleasurable exploration. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to live again a whole new life, having come from the deadness of my old life, which I buried in the waters of baptism. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to live in that so I can live that resurrection when this life is over. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing. But then you've got this third statement. I want to know the koinonia of his suffering. I'm going to talk to you about this idea of sharing sufferings, koinonia in sufferings. What is that about? How does that work for us? to share in the sufferings of Christ Jesus. And he says in that, being conformed to his death. What does it mean? What does that mean to share in his sufferings? Resurrection, yeah. Knowing who he is, yeah. But tonight, tonight we move into a more difficult aspect of our koinonia. And I simply have three points for you, three things I want to say to you. I'll give them to you, one, two, and three. When I get to three, you'll know to wake up the person next to you, put your shoes on. We're done. You'll know that. We share first in the sufferings of Christ. Second, we share in sufferings with Christ. And third, we share in sufferings with Christ others. Those are our points tonight. 
sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Because if we do his work, if we do what he does and what he did, we will suffer as he did. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. This is a necessary evil if we're to grow in righteousness. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And listen, listen to the words. Listen, and listen for our word, koinonia. I rejoice, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Share in sufferings of Christ. To share with him in those things. The kingdom of God is furthered by suffering. As I share with him in the idea of putting to death my flesh, my life. Listen, folks, that, that doesn't happen instantaneously and once and all forever. You know that. I must constantly be working to kill the flesh, to put it aside so that I may, as he put it here, do my share on behalf of his body in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I, I think some of us have substituted for the pursuit of holiness the pursuit of happiness. We're looking to be happy people rather than holy people. And those are not mutually exclusive. But a pursuit of happiness will not always take you to Christ. When Christ set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem, it says in the book of Hebrews, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. There was a joy, but it wasn't the cross. It wasn't going to be there. And, and I'm telling you, and I, want to, I, I need to say this to young people because it's so easy at this point in your life to just kind of live for today and for what brings joy to you today. That's easy to do. But it's not what God calls you to God has called us to a life of suffering here in the flesh so that we may enjoy the joy set before us even as Christ went to the cross in order to gain the joy that was before him. So we've got this stated in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. 
If we're children, then we're heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If what? If indeed we suffer with him. So that we may also be glorified with him. And then 1 Peter chapter 4 says this in verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, there's our word, there's our koinonia, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Keep on rejoicing. It is easy for us in this concept of suffering to think suffering's bad. Loss is not good. We want gain and we want security and we want lack of pain. And the child of God needs to know. You need to know. I need to know. That if I follow Christ, I will share in his sufferings. Secondly, we share in these sufferings with Christ. He is with us as we suffer. He cares. We, we sing songs about that all the time. There was, there was that one song that begins with the question, does Jesus care when my heart is filled with sorrow and pain, and does he care? And the chorus gives this resounding, oh, yes, he cares. His heart is filled with my grief. There are so many passages in the New Testament that talk about that. You're laying in a hospital bed. Does Jesus care about that? He absolutely cares. Now, if you're equating him caring with him relieving you of whatever is difficult, you misunderstand what that means. The fact that he cares for you doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get immediate relief. We, we tend to think in those terms, but that's not the case. I'm going to tell you why I think it's important sometimes that we not be relieved when we get to our third point. There, there is a sense in which Jesus even precedes us into our sufferings. He's there before us. He's waiting for us. He was made man so that he could be in all points like us. That he could know there isn't an aspect of suffering that you and I could list that Jesus can't say, I know. Lord, when I became a Christian, I lost friends. Jesus says, I know. When I became a Christian, I lost my job, and that was a really good paying job. I knew I shouldn't be working there because it was taking me too far away from you and from God's people, so I, I gave that up, but I lost that, Jesus says. I know. Lord, when I became a Christian, I've I found out people hate me. Some people. My culture 
hates me. And Jesus says what? I know. I know. I know. He is with us. He precedes us. In John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 18, I think this passage is becoming more and more relevant for us today. If the world hates you, John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you. Because if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. One more passage, and I want to comment on that. Chapter 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. That word tribulation, that's a, that's a really interesting word. Tribulation comes from a form of torment and execution in which a person's body was laid on a hard, hard slab and rocks were placed one after another on the chest, one after another, so that you ultimately reached a point at which you could not breathe and you expired. We use the word tribulation far too tritely. We even use the word my cross to bear tritely. Somebody will say, well, how's your job going? Well, I've got a boss that's just staying on me all the time. But hey, that's my cross to bear. No, it's not a cross. Well, okay, it's my tribulation. Mm -mm, that's not even a tribulation. These are serious words. And when the disciples heard it, they didn't hear it as, in the world, you have tribulation. What does that mean? Well, sometimes things aren't going to go the way you want them to go. It's not the way the disciples would have understood that. My brothers and sisters, I think we've got to adjust the way we think about the way the world treats us. First, I think we need to understand that a lot of the things we go through, they don't hold a candle to the tribulations and the cross-bearing of other generations. And I know for a child that comes home from school and says, through tears, maybe weeping, they made fun of me at school because I'm a Christian or because I'm a follower of Jesus, or I said in class today, I believe the Bible and they ridiculed me. I know those tears are real and the pain is hurtful. I know that, I understand that. But we've gotta find a different way to react than saying this isn't right 
and this is injustice, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen again. Because Jesus would say this to that child. If the world hates you, know this. It hated me first. And then in a symbolic way, I think Jesus would extend his hand and say, put her there, partner. You're in the club. If, if someone in this congregation came forward, let's, let's just say at the end of this lesson, somebody came forward and said, you know, I've been suffering. I, I've been suffering. I lost my job today. I, I tried to do the honest thing. They, they wanted me to cook the books and I wouldn't do that. Or they told me to ignore something that was against the law and I, I couldn't do that. And I said, no, I've got to do the right thing. And they fired me. And not only is that the case, but I mean, I was living week to week and now I may lose my house and, and my family's upset at me and, and my parents are really mad about the whole thing and my wife won't speak to me. There are many of us, there are many of us, and I think motivated by a heart of mercy would say, that's just terrible. Oh, that's awful. Come here, cry on my shoulder. That shouldn't be, Lord, Lord, don't let that happen. Please, Lord, don't let that happen. Reverse the situation. And, and I'm telling you, I am telling you, if I understand the scriptures and I understand the heart and mind of Christ, what Jesus would say is, rejoice. That you have been found worthy to share in my sufferings. You get a chance to prove how much I mean to you. You get to prove how deep your obedience and love for me is. And I really hope whatever shepherd or brother or preacher came to pray for that person would say, would find some way to say something of this nature. Oh, Lord God, we are so thankful for this testimony tonight. Our sister has come before us saying that in her stand for righteousness and truth, oh God, she has been persecuted. And we are thankful she stood the test. Doesn't that say something about who we are? And what we're about as people? And doesn't that say something to others who may go through the same thing in the near future. We're in a culture that is on the verge of telling us we can't say truths that are in the Bible. We can't call homosexuality a sin. The practice of homosexuality, we can't call that a sin. That, that we can't name genders as God did, male and female, he created them. but that in fact we have to move into a non-binary culture where anybody can be whatever they want to be. That's what our culture is telling us. 
And if we stand up and speak the truth, we don't have to say that in anger and belligerence or arrogance. We may suffer. The world will give us tribulation. Fact. How we react to it is the key element. It's what's important. And Jesus makes promises that if, if we are in that suffering, he is in the heart of it with us. He knows what's happening, and he is there with us. 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Jesus is saying, I know what you're going through. Stay in it. Stay there. Stay there for a little while, and God will bring you through. And then you go to the book of Revelation, and we're not going to take much time to do it. I just want to kind of summarize some things. In the book of Revelation to the seven churches, you've got Jesus saying things like this. You're about to undergo a tribulation, a great tribulation, using that same word we talked about. And, and I'm sure some of those saints thought, well, well, wait, Lord, do we really have to go through it? I mean, can't you deliver us? And over and over again, what Jesus says is, I know, I know, I know what you're about to endure. I know what you're about to undergo. I, I see Jesus sometimes saying things to the disciples like, like this one, like this one. Mark chapter 9, verse 1, where he's talking to the disciples. And, and he says, some of you standing here will not taste death till you've seen the kingdom come with power. You ever thought about that? If you're one of the disciples... Some of you standing here will not taste death till you see the kingdom come. Now, if you're fixated on the kingdom is coming, that's, that's fine. But I'll tell you, I would, that's not what I would have heard. That's not what I would have been thinking about. I would have been thinking about, wait, did you just say we're going to die, some of us? I mean, maybe I misheard you. Did you say a, a few of us are going to die? No, no. A lot of you are probably going to die soon. Some of you will not taste death. Some of you. And I don't know about you, but if I'm standing among the apostles, I'm looking around counting heads. I mean, how many of us can afford to go down before some becomes few? Jesus gave words like that all the time. We are not protected and sheltered from death, and we are not protected and sheltered from disease. We are not protected and sheltered from hatred. We are not protected and sheltered from natural loss or purposeful loss of the things of this world. We are not. Because all of those are important in suffering. All of those. And that cannot happen to the benefit of the kingdom if I suffer 
or react in the wrong way. I'm in Acts chapter 5, and I'm looking at verse 41. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. I need to remember it's important to react in the proper way to suffering. Verse 40 says they took Gamaliel's advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. They flogged them. They flogged them. I'm, I think I'm pretty safe when I ask this question. Raise your hand if you've ever been flogged. Not here. Now, I'm not saying flogging is an identifying mark of all Christians, but I am saying to you, it is a horrible punishment. It is not just a ruler across the knuckles that a teacher might give, or even as my father wielded with great dexterity, a ping pong paddle across my seat of learning. <laughs> my dad was good at the laying on of hands. But I'm not even talking about that. Flogging is a horrible punishment. And these apostles have been flogged erroneously against the law. What they're being punished for isn't even fair. So verse 42 says, So they went on their way, called their lawyers, and sued the city. So they picketed City Hall for months. So they sent a reporter messages about what had happened. So they got on Facebook and complained about how they had been mistreated. None of those things are true. Look at verse 41. They went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. To suffer shame for his name. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy. Worthy. God blessed us today. God felt we finally have reached a point of great blessing that he has allowed us to suffer shame because we're Christians. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ with Christ and, and that can't happen if I have the wrong attitude about it. If my attitude about my suffering is, this is totally unfair, this is wrong, this shouldn't happen, Lord, deliver me from it, then I don't get the benefits that, that Luke is recording the disciples, the apostles felt they got. That's why there needs to be a sense of that rejoicing. I, I, I know, I know some of you are still wrestling with that prayer, that 
hypothetical prayer I shared. I know you are. I've been there where you are. And you may think, man, Ralph is really cold. I mean, he's just saying, hey, I don't care what kind of suffering you've had. You just get over it and rejoice. But there is a sense in which we've got to move beyond the way the world views suffering and recognize in it this quality of purification for us, of demonstration that we are, we are the people of God. We have surrendered our lives to him. And that also can't occur if I suffer for the wrong reason. Uh, you know, Peter talks about that in his book on suffering in 1 Peter. He says this in verse 15. He says about this, verse 14, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. We looked at verse 13, to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, and if you're reviled, you're blessed. But then he says this in verse 15, make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Hey, if you're suffering for that reason, you got it rightly. I mean, you deserved what you got. Some, somebody might say, you know what, nobody likes me. I, I don't understand it. And somebody else says, well, I do. You're unlikable. <laughs> well, you're getting what you deserve. We're not talking about getting what we deserve. We're not even talking about a police officer pulling us over this time because we were speeding. And I know he did it because I had some mark on my car and he's anti-Christian, saw it. I'm not talking about those kinds of things. Because I will say this, even if once in a while we get a ticket for something that we don't think we earned, we escaped a lot more tickets that we did deserve and didn't get. Yeah. And I know you didn't want to, but everybody could have said amen over that one. <laughs> but then he goes on to say, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, ah, don't be ashamed. Glorify God in that name. Glorify God in that name. Final thought, final thought tonight. We share in the sufferings of others. We are called upon to do that. It's not just I share the sufferings Christ suffered because I want to follow him and suffering was his life. And it's not just I share in that suffering with him because he's with me in that. And there is a great blessing. He comes to my side because I'm suffering. But there is a sense in which all of us need to learn, need to learn how to share in the sufferings of others. Because when saints suffer, Christ suffers. It's not just a saint suffering. Christ is suffering there. Would you go to help Christ if he were suffering and you had the ability? Sure you would. You may say, I'm not getting the point, Ralph. In Acts chapter 9, when the apostle Paul, before he is an apostle, is on the road to Damascus, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. Wait, Paul, Paul, Saul never even saw Jesus. He, I mean, he may have seen him, but he's not after Jesus. Oh, yeah, he is. How? He's after Jesus' people. 
And Jesus says, I'm the one you are persecuting. And you'll answer for that. But I'll tell you something else I just love. I love this statement. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. It's verses 32 and 33. Now, in the book of Hebrews, I, I believe, if I could summarize it very quickly, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who are doubting whether they made the right decision to follow Christ when it looks like the Jews who are persecuting them are always on top. Maybe we made a bad decision. And some of them are thinking, you know, I had it better as a Jew than I do as a Christian. I mean, as a Jew, I didn't get persecuted like this. And now it's the Jews who are persecuting me. And maybe, maybe I need to go back to Judaism. And so in chapter 10... Verse 32, the Hebrew writer says, Remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. A great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. And partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. There's our word, you see it? Sharers, koinonia. Now here's, here's what the writer is saying. Sometimes you suffered because you stood for Christ in a culture that said he is not the Messiah and you are a blasphemer for saying it. And you suffered for that. It was a great conflict. And you, and you endured it. But some of your suffering was because you went out of your way to stand next to someone who was being so treated. Not just that it was against you, but that it was against somebody you cared about. Peer pressure is so hard to buck. And, and I do want to say this to young people particularly. It is so easy to go along with people who are making fun of or giving a hard time or even bullying somebody. It's easy to go along with that, especially if it's a group. It's another thing altogether to not participate but stand by. Let it happen and not say anything. But it is the way of Christ to come to the aid of the downtrodden. I mean, you want to really prove you have the heart of Christ. You won't refuse, just, just refuse to participate in that. And you won't just stand by and let it happen. You will go out of your way to stand with those who are so treated. You'll not let that happen.
without you coming to their aid. That's what the Hebrew writer is commending them for. So I told you at the beginning of this series that we're going to move into a level of koinonia or sharing that most of us are not familiar with or comfortable with. And we're there tonight. This kind of sharing with others who are so treated is the perhaps deepest expression of the heart of Christ who stood with us when we didn't deserve it. Who called us his own when Satan said, condemn him. It's much deeper than food and fun and the kind of fellowship we're used to. But it's where we need to be. Koinonia involves sharing in blood and sweat and toil and tears. And we're back to where we've been in so many of the lessons already that the body cares for its members. The body cares for its members. If a guy, if a guy is coming at me and he's got his fist balled up and he's coming and he's ready to put that fist in my eye, the rest of the body doesn't say, we're not getting involved. Take it, I hope you do well. <laughs> what happens? My whole body goes into action. It may be we run, you know, feet, do your duty, you know, and I'm out of there. It may be my hands go up to protect me. It might be my head, turn, my neck jerks my head to the side to t try to protect me. It might be I kick out at that person to get away from them. I, maybe that I turn and huddle. I, but my whole body's involved. My whole body's involved. Why? One of us has been threatened. One of us needs help. If the body does that, and we're members of the body, shouldn't we do that for each other? Isn't that what we're called? So we respond. We respond with prayer. We respond actively. We meet needs physically, even when it puts us out of our way to do so. And we respond emotionally. We sang that song tonight, and I've mentioned this love being the golden chain that binds us together. But the phrase in that, when this beautiful phrase, beautiful phrase, when sorrow flows from eye to eye and joy from heart to heart. We weep with those who weep. We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And they need to see it and sense it and feel it. When somebody's crying, somebody needs to put an arm around that shoulder. 
Somebody needs to touch that person. Somebody needs to give a shoulder for them. And when somebody's rejoicing, we need to find out what they're rejoicing about and throw confetti in the air with them. That's what the body of Christ does. That's what we're called on to do. And people in the assembly of God's family and in the shelter of God's family, whether assembled or not, need never feel all alone. That is not what it's like to be in the family. Years ago, when we lived in Concord, North Carolina, they had a big, big storm over in Asheville. And there are a lot of big trees in in Asheville area. They're evergreens, and they, they grow really tall, and the snow was really heavy on those trees. And the weather reporter must be a little bit of a botanist because he said, folks, I want to tell you about these trees. It looks like they're so laden with snow and the wind is blowing so hard, you'd think these trees would fall over. They actually have a very shallow root system because they're in very rocky terrain. They don't have deep roots that go down. They have very wide spread roots. And that you would think then that that means they can't withstand the wind or the snow, the weight of the snow. But I want you to notice, and they were taking a picture. You know how all weathermen are. I mean, they have to get out in the very middle of everything that's happening. So he's out there and he's got white all over him and the wind's blowing and he's showing that. But he said this, he said, notice that all these trees grow in groups. You won't see these trees alone because they can't weather the storms by themselves. You see, their, their roots interlace and they weave together and they keep each other upright. And I said, there's a sermon. That's a sermon. Those trees are like we're supposed to be. To live in clusters, intertwining our lives so that we don't have to put down deep roots in this world. We just need to have roots tied to each other. And when we do that, we share in our sufferings and we carry the weight and the burden with each other. This is fellowship. These are the aspects of it. We've talked about over the last six hours together since Sunday morning. I hope these things are helpful to you. I hope they've changed the way you see each other. It isn't just about the people who sit next to you in the pews. It's about everybody in the family of God. And this you must know. It is that that the world will see and mark us as disciples of Jesus Christ.
it will not be because we just look really happy or that we have such an incredible knowledge of the Bible, these people can quote scriptures like nobody's business, or I've heard them sing and my heart is stirred. All those things can be true, and all those things should be true of us, but that's not how the world's going to know we're disciples of Jesus. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, the world's going to know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. At the end of his life, the Apostle John, we're told traditionally, couldn't walk into the assembly of the saints, and they carried him in on a gurney at Ephesus, the last church he worshiped with before he died, according to tradition. All he could do was extend his hands to either side as they brought him into the assembly, and he said this. Little children, love one another. Love one another. If you want to be part of a family like that, maybe you need to make some adjustments about the way you've been living. Maybe you need to start investing yourself in the people of God in a way you haven't been doing. If you're not a child of God, the family longs for you to join them. To cast your burdens on the Lord and to let the people of God carry those with you. If that appeals to you tonight, I'm inviting you to come join the fellowship of suffering and sharing. Come join the people of God and Jesus Christ while we stand and sing this song.